high atop the snowdrift that covers 107 Columbia. Welcome to this week's edition of the Nipty Practice Tip. And today we have both our eyes firmly fixed on the snow plows that are gamely efforting to keep the roads clear here in Albany where we have had a great snowstorm. Right now, folks, we're going to begin discussing this week's topic, speedy trial quicksand and lifesavers. Here we go. Case that at first glance may appear to have exceeded the speedy trial time limit requires careful examination before you concede the time has expired. In a similar vein, there can be mistaken beliefs that certain adjournments are excludable when in fact they are not. Here are some of the key rules in case law authority that will assist you in addressing any dismissal motion based on a speedy trial claim, and more importantly, help you in keeping track of your speedy trial time and creating the proper record to assure all excludable time is preserved. A misdemeanor case that exceeds the 90-day period of includable time, whether dismissed or not, may still be indicted as a felony. As the court in the third department wrote in the People v. Wright from a case decided in 2014, to which leave was denied by the Court of Appeals, CPL 3031B provides that the people must declare their readiness for trial within 90 days of the filing of the complaint charging a Class A misdemeanor. The people concede that they did not declare that they were ready for trial within the 90 days of defendant being arraigned on the misdemeanor complaint, but contend, and we agree, that even if such a motion had been made and the misdemeanor complaint had been dismissed, the people had the right to present evidence regarding the underlying matter to a grand jury and obtain an indictment. Moreover, once an indictment was filed charging the defendant with the felonies, the people had six months to announce that they were ready for trial. Despite the clear language found in 3030 Subdivision 4, it is all too often overlooked that all the excludable time bases enumerated in that section do not require the people to have previously declared their readiness in order for you to apply these exceptions to the readiness requirement. Please see the case of People v. Mears, a First Department case from 2008, where leave was denied by the Court of Appeals. The court wrote, The court properly denied the defendant's speedy trial motion. We reject defendant's assertion that all the time between the declaration of a mistrial at defendant's first trial and the commencement of the second trial was chargeable to the people because they never declared their readiness. On the contrary, adjournments necessitated by trial counsel's numerous absences and by defendant's trial on other charges were excluded. Our next point is that when a case has multiple defendants, if the adjournment is chargeable or the responsibility of any one of the defendants, it is chargeable to all the defendants, even though the other defendants have not requested that adjournment and have in fact stated ready for trial. This is the constant rule that will apply in all multiple defendant cases. Take a look, for example, at the case of People v. David, a First Department case from 1998 in which leave was denied by the Court of Appeals. Our next issue was one of grand jury minutes. A failure on the part of the people to timely deliver the grand jury minutes to the motion court for inspection can result in the time for the decision on the inspection of the grand jury proceedings to be charged to the people. This is true regardless of the fact that normally motion time by the defense is charged against the defense. 
And in fact, motion time by the people is excludable. But in this situation, that motion time will be charged to the people when the people exceed what is considered a reasonable time in which to produce those minutes. Each court will give the people a reasonable time in which to produce the minutes for inspection, and once that time has been exceeded, the clock will start to run against the people. Take a look at the Court of Appeals decision of People v. Harris from 1993, in which the Court of Appeals found 36 days to be a reasonable time. Next, turn to the defendant's absence from court. The judge has the authority to excuse a defendant's absence on the day in which he or she does not appear, though having not given permission to do so previously. So, the defendant's mere absence from court will not automatically result in a consent adjournment being attributable to the defense. And if the court so decides, will turn to the people and will require a record to be made, which will be the basis upon which the excludable or non-excludable time is determined. Take a look at People v. Kopaz, a 1999 Court of Appeals decision. Now, if, however, instead of simply excusing the defendant's absence, the court orders a bench warrant to be stayed, meaning while ordered, it will not be executed until the next date, depending on whether or not the defendant returns. Then the time is chargeable to the defendant for that adjournment, even if the people are not ready to proceed. So it certainly serves your purposes if the defendant is not present and the factors appear to be appropriate for you to ask for a bench warrant to be ordered, you do so. And if the court stays that warrant after ordering it, that will result in the time being charged to the defendant regardless of your status. There are a number of cases mentioned in the memo on this issue. Our next point is DNA testing. When the people make a timely motion, the period for collecting samples from the defendant as well as the time for genetic testing results is properly excluded under subdivision 4G. As the court wrote in People v. Williams from the Second Department in 1997, and where appeal was denied by the Court of Appeals in 1998. The trial court correctly concluded that the delays occasioned by the necessity of obtaining blood and saliva samples from the defendant and his two co-defendants, performing the genetic tests, and obtaining the written results of those analyses were exceptional circumstances within the meaning of CPL 3034GI. And in that case, they cite to People v. Washington, a Court of Appeals decision. However, the people must demonstrate due diligence in order to successfully use this section of CPL 3030. As the court wrote in PPV Gonzalez, a First Department case from 2016, under this provision, the unavailability of DNA test results can be considered an exceptional circumstance so long as the people exercised due diligence to obtain the results. The people did not move to compel a DNA sample from the defendant in this case for almost 10 months after his arrest. It is the responsibility of the people to be cognizant of the progress of a particular case. Here is another example of DNA testing being considered as excludable time. The case is People v. Lathan, a First Department case from 2014 where Stan the Man Kaplan served as the people's representative. The court wrote, the defendant's speedy trial motion turns on the pre-indictment period from April 15th of 2011 through August 15th of 2011. 
during which the people were awaiting the results of DNA testing of samples taken from the defendant and his co-defendant pursuant to a court order. Under the circumstances of this case, this period was excludable as a delay occasioned by exceptional circumstances, resulting from the unavailability of evidence material to the people's case. The fact that the automobile presumption was available to the people to establish defendant's possession of the pistol did not mean that the DNA analysis was not material to the people's case, since defendant had expressed his intention to testify before the grand jury for the purpose of disclaiming any connection with the pistol and rebutting the presumption. Moreover, the materiality and necessity of the DNA analysis has already been determined in the court order compelling the defendant and his co-defendant to provide saliva samples, and defendant does not contend that the people failed to act diligently to obtain the DNA analysis. That will be the end of our discussion for today, but needless to say, there's a lot more material on speedy trials, some of which we've already done in previous practice tips, and we will certainly continue to do so as the weeks go by. As always, if you have any suggestions, ideas, or thoughts as to topics we should cover, please be sure to let us know. I want to thank our crack producer and snow shoveler extraordinaire, Jonathan Marconi Crispino. To all of you out there, be well, be safe, and stay ready, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>